Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to the I Believe podcast. I am joined here um, with Reagan Lambert, correct? Yeah, Reagan Lambert. And he is from Horseshoe Bay, Texas, uh, about an hour west of Austin. And he was diagnosed uh, with choroidal melanoma in 2016, um, October 2016, excuse me. And so he lives currently in Texas with his wife. And um, I'm going to pass it over to you so that you can introduce yourself briefly. Tell us a little about who you are as a person, um, as a person outside of OM. Thanks for having me. Um, grew, I grew up in Austin and went to uh, school there. I met my wife in college at a place called Southwest Texas State. It's now called Texas State University. It's in San Marcos, pretty close to Austin. And we've been married 45 years. I have two children, a 38-year-old daughter married and a 34-year-old son who has two of two boys, which are our grandkids. Uh, retired. We both retired in uh, 2020, so we were 65 years old at the time we retired. I spent 30 years in uh, full-time ministry with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is a national organization. We worked with uh, middle school, high school college athletes, coaches, and kids, students, and uh, loving retirement. Uh, although the uh, diagnosis I had, I was 61, so I still worked for four more years after that happened. But uh, we're loving retirement and play golf and hang out with friends, and, and it's uh, it's good right now. That's wonderful. Um, and I I'm always just interested to hear you know, what people have done with their life prior to this diagnosis and and to kind of see like what changes after as well. Um, So I think that's, that's pretty cool that you guys have been able to do so much and um, that you had such meaningful work uh, ahead of this. Um, And I'm sure that the kids that you worked with absolutely loved you, like just from the the five (laughs) minutes I've spent with you. Um, Well, so Reagan, can you tell us a little about, you know, what led to your diagnosis in October of 2016? What happened? Sure. I, uh, just while watching television for several weeks, uh, would see flashes of light uh, going, you know, from one one side to the other in my right eye, basically like someone was pointing a flashlight and moving it across. Uh, so I went to see my optometrist, uh, a friend, and but also that helped me with glasses, reading glasses at the time. I never had worn glasses or contacts. And uh, he had just purchased a new machine for taking pictures of the eye. It was called Optus and just an amazing machine for an optometrist to have to be able to really scan the outer reaches of your eye. And uh, He saw what he thought was a retina tear and, uh, but couldn't be sure. So he decided to send me to a retina specialist uh, for further tests. So I went to one in Austin 
and they had multiple uh, locations. One of the locations, the one I actually went to in the beginning, was not the biggest and best. It didn't have all the equipment, but that's where he sent me. And so they did the test and they said, we think it could be a retina tear, but we also think there's a 30% chance you would you have a tumor. And like you and probably everybody else, I had never heard of eye tumors. I had a skin melanoma in 2009 on my back that was taken off and that's what made, that's what I went to initially. That's what I thought it was and found out later. It had nothing to do with that. But uh, so they said, we're going to send you to our downtown office where we have better equipment and more equipment and we're going to do more tests. And it was a Friday though, and it was late morning and they called to see if I could get in. And uh, the doctor said, yes, uh, I'm actually leaving at three o'clock to get on a plane to go to an ocular oncology convention in Chicago. But if you can come right now, I'll stay here. And uh, so obviously we did. We drove over there, Debbie and I, and we walked in the office, Danae, and it was dark. I mean, there was nobody in there except he and this technician. So it was kind of spooky just to begin with. You know, you normally see a lot of people and lights and... It doesn't help that it's are, October. Phones are ringing. Spooky yes. October. And it's really close to the 31st, too. Yeah. So we went over there, they did dye tests, they did uh, the ultrasound, they did all the pictures, and they came back and confirmed that I had a choroidal melanoma. And then they went on to explain what that was and the treatment to us, which was they said they would place a plaque over uh, the tumor and it would have radiation pellets in it and it would uh, uh, time release over a few days and Hopefully that would kill the uh, the tumor. So we asked them how many they had done. And I'm sorry, I can't remember, but he either said none or a couple. And so I'm just one of those guys that thought, okay, I'd really like to have somebody that has done multiple ones of these and yeah, sure. maybe knows a little bit more about it. So I said, okay, we'll get back to you. And they were going, okay, don't wait around too long. And I said, we won't. So we went home immediately and uh, we just started reaching out to friends of ours. We prayed about it and we asked them to pray about it and we asked them to help us to locate someone that could do this surgery. Now, MD Anderson is in, in Texas, so you would think that that would be the first place we would go. But I just really wanted to reach out to, I mean, the p purpose of having friends and uh, people that care about you and that are connected to you is that maybe they can help you navigate through whatever it is that you're having to navigate to. So reached, reached out to two specific friends that I knew were in the medical business and they had friends in the cancer field. One was in Texas, one was in California and asked them for recommendations for an ocular surgeon. And they both within six hours came back and recommended Carol Shields who was the director of oncology, still is, at Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. And her friend from California was actually at, while she was speaking to her, actually at an oncology, ocular oncology convention in Chicago. And the keynote speaker was Carol Shields. And he said he'd try to go up and speak to her personally. This is all happening within hours. And you remember me saying that the Austin ocular surgeon was going to be leaving for Chicago and it's the exact same convention. So I thought that was kind of uh, a sign. 
but he did speak with Carol and she called her office immediately and said to be expecting a call from us. So our next prayer, Danae, was that they would take our insurance because it's a big, big, big deal, especially flying to another state and trying to stay somewhere and figure all that out. So we found out that they did take our insurance. And so on October 31st, which we mentioned earlier, Halloween, we flew to Philadelphia for our initial appointment with uh, Carol Shields. Um, November 3rd, I had the radioactive plaque therapy surgically applied to the tumor and uh, was in a hospital room sequestered for five days. Uh, they couldn't, I didn't leave, I just left the room to go to meals and came back and it was just Debbie and I. And uh, then they removed the plaque and we flew back to Texas. Over the so, next few months, they- oh, I just they had a quick question. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, uh -huh. So when you were in Philadelphia, just because I know this is a common question for people who travel um, to end up going to Carol Shields or to Dr. Sato in Philadelphia, obviously uh -huh. they're they're very well known and there's a reason for that. Um, uh -huh. And it's reassuring to some patients to, you know, like you guys, um, to be able to seek out someone who has really made a their life work out of this, uh -huh. um, this uh -huh. kind of practice. But um, where did you guys stay in Philadelphia and are there any like resources you would pass on to anyone who is looking to travel because they feel like that's the best fit for them? Yeah, well, uh, the first couple of times when we were uh, going through the, the actual plaque and then several times after that, and I'll get into how much we had to travel there in, the, in a few minutes, but they had a, uh, the, uh, the Wheels Eye Hospital and, and Dr. Shields had a relationship with the Crown Plaza, which was down in the middle of town. And they put you up at a very uh, inexpensive rate and they provided some amazing meals and they took care of everything uh, a lot less than it would cost to stay in downtown Philly at another time. And I'm not really clear. I don't remember who paid for this. I believe it was money that was raised through Will's Eye Hospital to help with people's uh, expenses. No, that's uh, important to know, like just for patients that there are yeah. resources and that they, they don't have to foot the bill entirely themselves, that they can, exactly. they can look for those resources and that we yep. should look for those resources yes. for sure. Yes. And we, we had to pay for our own airfare and everything, obviously. But then after two or three times we were on our own and we ended up just getting Airbnbs down there and uh, would take, would either walk or take cabs or Ubers uh, to get back and forth to the treatments. Uh, you mentioned Dr. Yeah. Sato. He's the guy that uh, did, I mean, we had the DNA testing done and he, I've been working with him for six years. And uh, the reason again, that I went with him and you know this because uh, you mentioned him for 35 years plus, he's been specializing in where the choroidal melanoma, where they go and where they metastasize. And so again, I think he's, if not the best, he certainly has 35 years of experience and, and when we were looking at Dr. Shields, I mean, uh, if, if you're, and I know that they, they're promoting themselves, but if they're doing 50% of the treatment in the United States and they're also doing treatment of people all over the world, it just seemed like the right thing for us to do. Yeah. And, well, we and everyone's had the, comfort level is going to be different. Like right. with traveling versus not, with finding right. someone who does this, right? you know, 10 times a week versus... 10 times in a year or 10 times yep. in their entire practice. Like there really is, there's really something to be said of just being clear on, on what you as the patient need and why and right. going for that and advocating for that. So yep. I just commend you for that. Point. An excellent point. And 
uh, fortunately, we had the resources where we could do it. And believe me, I had a hundred people say, why aren't you just driving that two and a half hours to MD Anderson? That's stupid to fly to Philly. And I said, well, when it's your eye and your cancer tumor, uh, tumor in your eye, maybe you can make a different decision. But this is what we thought was best for us. So, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and that's, uh, that's important. So, okay, let's backtrack. You were kind of continuing okay. on, on, um, I think you said the plaque was taken out and then you, I'm assuming had some follow-up that happened over the course of some time. Yeah. So for the first two years, I went every three months, uh, to get the eye checked. And, uh, also they, uh, gave me, uh, a Vastin, uh, uh, in the eye, uh, every quarter. They said they didn't have any really uh, clear uh, uh, understanding or idea that it would help, but it they were trying to stave off uh, what could be lack of vision as I moved forward, because I think it's used for macular degeneration maybe, but yeah, so and, actual... And there is more research now showing that Avastin is helpful. Um, okay. And that different shots are helpful. There's, they do have a lot more research, um, that has come out in, you know, the ocular field, just showing mm -hmm. that this, this kind of preventative action, there is some level of benefit. It's just, it, I think it's still just tricky to define how much, um, sure. and I think every patient experiences something different. So I had shots in the, in the eye every three months for, uh, I mean, every, yeah, every three months for six different visits. So I guess that's a year and a half or so. And every time I was there, I would do the scans. I would do a CT and an MRI, and Dr. Sato would read those. And then after two years, it was twice a year. And uh, after five years, uh, this is my sixth year, so I'm doing it once a year now. So I've got scans coming up uh, next week, actually. I didn't mention, though, and I think I, I need to, that my tumor size, I believe it was 2.9, so it was pretty small, and it was really way far away from the the optic nerve and it was way on the right side of the of my eye and so it, it was really the best one of the best prognoses I guess that I could have gotten when they did find it that it was small and I haven't lost I didn't lose any vision I didn't lose any peripheral vision it's not blurry uh, and I still get it checked once a year and I just had it checked last week and there's, it looks great and there's nothing happening right now, but yeah, I know that can change, uh, on a dime. And like you, uh, I've listened and heard you on the scans are something that we deal with and we'll deal with the rest of our lives. And you just have them done and you wait to hear what's, what's there. And, uh, uh, it's gut wrenching. It's hard, but Every, everybody's dealing with something. And in fact, I'm going to throw this out there. We just found out my wife uh, two months ago was diagnosed with breast cancer and she's 67 years old. So we're dealing with that now. So it's not just me. It's not just you. It's not just her. There's so many people that are struggling with things. It's just ours happened to be this choroidal melanoma, Danae, that nobody, most people have never heard of yeah. or didn't even know existed. So what you're doing is, I think is magnificent and I thank God for what you're doing and uh, reaching people and helping find out how we can cure it or at least make it better. For yeah, folks. no, exactly. And, um, and I like, thank you for just for your, your encouragement and um, compliments. It means a lot to me because this is, I guess, been a passion project of mine since I 
you know, shortly after I got diagnosed. So I appreciate you, um, just noticing that. So, um, you mentioned that after you were diagnosed that you worked for a couple of years and you also mentioned that, um, that you were able to maintain vision pretty well. So is there anything you feel like your diagnosis and kind of the way that this is all played out for you and, and the necessary traveling that you guys made, um, is there anything you feel like you've been kept from doing or that you felt limited in, or do you feel like you've been able to navigate this in a way that, you know, has felt, um, less limiting, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, 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 I haven't been, I haven't not been able to do anything that I want to do. And I, I play golf and I still run around and work out and things like that. And I've never had any issues or problems at all. I was told, as I'm sure most people are, that I should be wearing sunglasses all the time when I'm out in the sun. And so I started doing that. I'd never done that on the golf course in the past, but I started doing that six years ago. Uh, Now you just look super cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The hardest part for me is just the, the, what can happen, the scans, uh, they told me I didn't have the, uh, going back to the DNA, that I didn't have the chromosome 3, and so that was a really bad thing. Uh, they didn't even have enough DNA to check because of the size of the tumor to yeah. check the 6 and the 7. But they said not having the 3 is not good, and chances are sometime in your life, I can't tell you if it, they, we can't tell you if it's 2 years or 5 years or 20 years, yeah. It's probably going to metastasize. That's what they think now. Yeah. Well, and it's, I, that's something that's hard to live. Like with, it's like an ax yeah. hanging over your neck, like constantly. It is. Yeah. So that's the hardest thing for me, I think. And Debbie is just uh, looking at that and facing it. And we, but we've been doing it for all, uh, six years. And so we have a lot of experience of sitting around waiting for the call, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. So, um, you mentioned your wife, Debbie, quite a few times. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to lean into that for a minute. Has, okay. has she been, you know, one of your, would you say she's been one of your greatest supports? And um, is there anyone else in your life that you feel like has been a huge support to you throughout this last six years? Yeah, well, definitely my wife. She's a lot like you in that uh, once she found out what it was, she did so much uh, research uh, and put a put an entire book together really for us to take up to Philly about choroidal melanoma and uh, has, was just a, a huge uh, uh, support uh, for me to lean on and always positive and always saying we're going to get through this and and we're going to the best and Shields is the best and Sato is the best and so we're doing everything that we can. And uh, she did the exact same thing today when she found out about breast cancer it was a it's a it's a a non-invasive right now it's called in situ and it's in her milk ducts and it's really small but it's still breast cancer and she's done a ton of research on that too uh and so she did exactly the same thing so i get to my chance now to pay back uh if you will uh the doctoring the nursing the caring that she did for me for so long uh then both my kids were super supportive. My son's a pastor, and so he had uh, he has a lot of people that have come alongside him and us. It, they were thrilled to know that it's not genetic, uh, so they were excited to hear that news. Doesn't mean they can't get it, but it's not they're not going to get it from me. And then just uh, as I said, with what I did with uh, FCA and Fellowship of Christian Athletes, to have a great support group of 
of student athletes, students, coaches, donors. Uh, you know, I, I I couldn't have done it without them, but I think that they were placed in my life for a reason, and and I'm grateful, and I try every day to be available to again pay it back or pay it forward if if I have an opportunity to. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have touched on this a little bit, but um, what are what would you say are, are maybe like your top three gifts of this diagnosis? I mean, obviously none of us would choose to be diagnosed with this, but right. given that it's happened, what are maybe three gifts that have come despite, you know, all of the obstacles that you've faced? Uh, I think just the understanding of, of uh, life. I, th- I thought I had a great understanding of it. Uh, before, I thought I understood uh, uh, priorities, and uh, I I endeavored to have my life in order. You know, faith, family, work, that kind of thing. But it just it just kind of pinpoints it a little bit more when when you get a diagnosis like that. That that we're not neither one, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, and we need to do the best we can do with today. So that would be. Number one, I think number two would be just to see how people come alongside you in such a great way, offering to drive for you, to bring you meals, to uh, take you to the doctor's appointments, to sit with your to sit with your wife uh, at the hospital during. Uh, we even had a couple in, uh, offer to go to Philadelphia with us. Now they're financially able to do that, but still, that's a that's a big deal to come and sit with somebody for a few days in another city. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so just the support that you find that you have when you're struggling or when you have a diagnosis like this is a huge uh, thing. And I think number three would be uh, empathy uh, for others because, I mean, I, I it's funny that someone that's in ministry would say that that they that they're not passionate or or have big hearts, but sometimes I did struggle with uh, caring and feeling. You know, it's it wasn't my one of my great greatest spiritual gifts, and so uh, this and and when I would hear people talk about things that were going on, uh, it wouldn't impact me maybe like it should now. You know, I'm not saying I'm crying every time somebody says <laughs> something that they're dealing with, but. I do feel a lot more empathy and uh, a lot more caring and uh, and I think it shows to other people. So that would be a huge thing that's come about in my own personal life because of this. Oh, I love that. That's, I mean, honestly, that's beautiful. And, and I think I, I mean, I completely understand that because I, I do, I feel like I feel that. And I feel like many patients um, that I know there, there's just a greater compassion and a greater empathy for, what's going on around you and for other people that you find who are dealing with this diagnosis. Um, but just in general, I think just a greater empathy for humanity. I'm just like, yep. we're all really doing the best that we can. Um, yes. So thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. Yep. Um, yep. What would be, what would be something that you would say has helped you in navigating scans? I know that's something that, you know, especially as we get further down the road, sometimes we'd like to think it's going to get easier, <laughs> but somehow it doesn't get easier. Right. It kind of tends to get a little harder. I think sometimes. Right. Well, for me, it's it's my faith uh, because I I feel like I know the end of the book, you know, so to speak. I feel like I know where I'm headed, and I feel like that, and I can go back over 67 years of my life and see 
God's hand in, in my life and how he's directed me. I mean, all the way back to uh, as a as a kid, all the way back to finding Debbie, my kids, uh, the whole process I said about finding Carol Shields and things. And so, you know, I, there are a lot of people who would say that's just coincidence, that's an accident. But to me, uh, I just am thankful that I have uh, faith and I'm also glad that I have people of faith who are in my life who can, you know, hold me up. And there's a security for me knowing that people are praying for me. And not everybody is a super, super duper Christian. You know, God's the greatest thing in my life. But there are people that I know who believe that prayer works and and they're willing to do it for me regardless of where we stand theologically, maybe, if that makes any sense. And no, so, it totally makes sense. Uh, and so that's been that's been the the way that Debbie and I have dealt with almost everything in our lives and this the scans and now her breast cancer it's exactly the same uh i just as i said earlier i have so many people praying for me over the last few years that i relish the opportunity to pray for others and uh and uh again that's something i've learned to care and to understand that everybody's dealing with something it might not be uh, eye cancer, but it's something that's impacting their lives and their families, and I need to care about that. Uh, I, and I think that's you. You bring up a good point that sometimes when we're on the receiving end of so much support, encouragement, generosity—not even sometimes—I would I would say all the time. Um, I know I just have experienced this in the last couple of weeks alone that I just have felt this huge outpouring of love and support and encouragement and just people willing to just crawl in the depths of the ditch yep. with me while I'm, you know, down and having a hard time and, and not trying to pull me out of it before I'm ready, but just, just holding space um, yep. and supporting our family in, you know, just the tidal waves of new information that we keep getting. And, and it's, and it's funny because like, there are times that I'm so overwhelmed, I can hardly even focus on, you know, just living daily life. But when I am able to come up for air, like one of the first things on my mind is like, how can I, how can I give back to someone else? Mm -hmm. Even if it's mm -hmm. just in a small way, because I feel like I've been the you know, on the, the receiving end of so much generosity that like, I, I guess I'm, I'm the kind of person that I, I believe that in order to receive we have to also be willing to give. And in order mm -hmm. to to give, we have to be willing to receive. Like they're both equally important to be able to accept help and to be able to offer help or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so I'm, I'm always grateful when I find a small opportunity or large opportunity to, you know, like you said, to, you know, effectively like pray for somebody else or to... Yes. Um, to offer some kind of small service or just some kind of a like, Hey, I, I remembered you were looking for this. I found this at the store for you. Like it's over here. I'll go pick it yeah. up. Yeah. Um, just those little things that just, I think, and, and I was, I was telling my husband the other day too, that sometimes I think the ability to kind of come up for air and to get to a place where we feel like we can help other people, despite what we've experienced, um, I think helps, at least it helps me like feel like, I don't know, just like more normal. And like, I'm able to like have that capacity and it makes me feel, um, just makes me feel good to be able to do right. something and to offer that for someone else when I know how much it's helped me. Um, so I well, think that's an tell, important thing for me. Let me tell me. you something that I hope, I mean, uh, like I said, I'm 67. I've been dealing with this for six years. I'm also found out at 60 years old that I was a type one diabetic. So I, I've had asthma. I mean, I've been dealing with stuff. Uh, but you, 
you really are, and I haven't known you that long, first time we've actually spoken, but you really are an inspiration uh, to me and I'm sure to everybody else that listens and watches what you're going through. I mean, I can't imagine going through what you're going through. It. You started at 28, I believe, and and you have three children, beautiful children, and a husband, and I, and you're doing this after only two and a half years in, and uh, you you really are, and I I just want to encourage you, and I encourage everybody that knows you or that's listening to you to to lift you up in their daily life, whatever that means, whether it's prayer or encouragement or a text or an email, but you need it, you deserve it, and you really are an inspiration to me. Thank you. I'm going to try not to cry because that's all I've been doing all week is just crying. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, thank you. Um, That really means a lot. Um, Well, I guess just to end, if it's okay, if we just cover, you know, what, what would you tell someone who's brand new to this diagnosis, whether they're in their twenties or their, their fifties or, you know, sixties, I suppose is when you were diagnosed. Well, I think it's scarier maybe than other things like uh, that you would go through illness as an illness uh, because it's uh, it's so maybe rare or something you've never heard of and uh, but I think you've got to dig deep and you've got to treat it like uh, the next step and there's there's no looking back all you have all you can do is look forward and uh, use the resources that people uh, offer you. You do your homework, uh, find out everything you need to know, uh, decide what's best, as you said, for you. You're the patient. Decide what's best for you, where to go, how to do it. Uh, but to just embrace it might be too strong a word, but to to just accept it and uh, move forward. Because no matter what you believe, I think it's pretty documented that an attitude, a good attitude, uh and an attitude of hope mm-hmm. and an attitude of uh, I'm going to deal with this and we're going to get through this actually is cathartic. And it does help. Uh, doctors would say that it helps helps you get better. It helps you heal. And so uh, you got to have a positive attitude. And it doesn't mean you're not going to crash. It doesn't mean you're not going to cry. It doesn't mean you're not going to say, why me, Lord, or whatever you would say. Uh that we are going to have those times we're human beings, but, uh, but not to live there get, when you get through crying and when you, you get, you stand up and you, you face it and, yeah. uh, and always, and I, let me finish. I'm, I want to finish this with this. Um, in the 30 years that I was working with FCA, you know, I would talk with people that were struggling with things, uh, kids with depression, suicide, uh, they they lost their parents. Their parents got divorced. I mean, you can just name it. And I would always say to them, it hurts you, but it may not be about you. Uh, remember that this is part of your life. This is part of your testimony. And just think how many people, the lady that, remember the lady whose kid got killed uh, by a drunk driver and she founded Mothers Against Drunk Drivers? She didn't ask for that and didn't want it. But just think how many people she has impacted through Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. And I would say that to you, Danae. There's no telling how many people you have impacted and will impact. And it never would have happened uh, 
had you not gotten this diagnosis. And so it may, it's not always about us. It's about how we can minister and come alongside other people sometimes. No, that's, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, well, Reagan, thank you so much again for your time and just for being willing to share your story so powerfully with the rest of the community. Um, I really feel like, like you said, this is, this is one of those stories that I feel like has the ability to be, um, long lasting, like have a long lasting impact for so many patients, um, in the years to come. And I mean, let's just, let's just put it out there that in 50 years, somebody's going to hear this and they're going to feel the impact. Um, so I mean, I, I absolutely believe that. So thank you so much for being here. Is there, um, I guess as we close out, is there anything else that you want to share or any way that people can connect with you if they want to reach out and connect directly with you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Uh, Reagan Lambert. I don't, I guess you just search by name. Uh, I don't, I don't really, uh, I'm not on any other kind of social media, uh, but I'd be happy to con- get in touch or talk with anybody through Facebook and we can always message or whatever. So Wonderful. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to give. I'm happy to, I I was going to say this because I didn't know about a cure in sight until I ran across you on Facebook. I got involved with the Eye Tumor Research Foundation and that was through, uh, Dr. Shields and the Wheels Eye Hospital. So that's where I had been giving giving and trying to support because they do a lot of research for patient care and trying to improve that. And uh, But I think what you're doing is maybe even more impactful just because of the social media aspects of it, uh, where the other might just be a pure research group. Well, and I mean, uh, there's there's definitely benefit to both. Yep. Um, yep. There's absolutely benefit to both. and But, you know, making sure that people are aware of both as, as an avenue of, of ways yes. to um, to offer support, whether it's through, you know, financial support as um, through donations or just through, um, I think one of the things that we really try to do here at Acure Inside is just make sure that patients know that their story is important right. and that um, that sharing that is just as impactful as a 20 or 200 or $2,000 sure. donation sure. to research. And would you would you feel uh, please feel free to share my cell number or my email address with anybody? Yeah, I, um, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes um, when I have okay. the the podcast released out, and then I can okay. actually link your direct Facebook page for people to friend you. Um, okay. That way, if anyone would like to connect with you in this way, then they can. Um, I'd love to do that. Well, wonderful. Well, Reagan, I hope you have a wonderful holidays with your wife, and that everything goes well in the next few weeks. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.